from their padded cell in Indianapolis, Indiana, this is The Spiel, episode 13, Expandomatic. So welcome, fearless listeners, to another episode of The Spiel. My name is Stephen Conway. And I'm David Coulson. And uh, we're here with a, a special uh, Swiss Army Knife edition of, <laughs> of The Spiel this week. Um, all the, the games we're going to talk about are all expansions of one sort or another. Um, exactly. So I think you're in for kind of a special treat. There's so many games out there that the basic game is cool, but there are all sorts of add-ons and things that make cool games even cooler that we thought it would be there there are plenty more that we didn't even get to that would be worthy of talking about but there's certainly enough for us to to do a whole episode don't you think oh yeah we have enough game expansions to play for like the next two years (laughs) nothing but games that just have expansions so So, i I thought it was fun that we got a chance to (laughs) go back to our own books you know back to our own back shelf spotlight for a minute (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm, i'm definitely looking forward to it you know there may not be any uh Slicing and dicing with this expandomatic, but, but you will probably get Julian Fries, though. Yeah, or at least uh, two stupid guys. Oh my! Okay, <laughs> next. <laughs> Game news and notes. Okay, uh, unless you just crawled out from underneath a rock, <laughs> I'm gonna assume that you've heard the crazy news about Days of Wonders' new huge, big, super game. They even went so far to they packed a special card inside their Cleopatra game to kind of announce the coming of this game. And so for the past, I'd say three months or so, we've all been going crazy trying to what figure out what is this out, game? <laughs> what is this game? This infamous big huge game. Well, a week and a half ago, they finally announced that it is in fact battle lore. It's it's they're going to be their huge over the top fantasy tabletop battle game based on Richard Borg's card command system from Battlecry, Memoir 44, and the Command and Colors Ancients, which is going to be awesome. Yeah. That system is super cool, super streamlined, a way to play a really cool tabletop battle game in about an hour, maybe a little bit longer, and fit it on kind of a small surface you know it's not something you have to have an entire garage for but you still get miniatures with it which is cool over 210 miniatures (laughs) in this particular and that's just this is just the starter if anybody's familiar with the days of wonders games um this particular box is going to be twice as thick so it's just for them it's just going to be huge it should be available by november i think the price on it's going to be 70 bucks but I think you'll be able to get it for between fifty and sixty-five dollars. I've seen pre-orders already around the fifty-dollar mark. So cool. The um, the cool thing that I think is neat about this is it's not just fantasy in the way that you think of every other fantasy not miniature true. game. They're somehow managing to mesh history and fantasy together. The time period of this is basically going to be middle medieval Europe at the outset of the Hundred Years' War, <laughs> but. 
it's actually going to have wizards and clerics and lore masters. So this has the potential to be just insanely cool. Yeah, yeah. And it fits with our theme because there already are expansions. expansions. Before it even comes out, they're already starting in March of 2007. Two expansions a month. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't realize there were so many coming out. In, insane. So if this turns out to be as cool as we think it's going to be, you're going to be able to buy stuff for it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to it. And I hope they keep intact that that multiplayer option too because I've played like Memoir 44 with a group of people right. playing like each quadrant of the battlefield and I think that's a really I'm, interesting I'm sure that this is going to push his system to the limits there's an 80 page rule book that comes with this game oh, and wow. it's, it's rumored to be a step up even from the commanding colors oh, cool. which was already a step up from both Battlecry and Memoir 44 so I think this is going to be very cool. Well, stay tuned because we will have more information because I'm sure at least one of us sitting around this table uh, will not be able to resist buying it the minute that it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's, that's awesome. I'm really glad to hear about Battle Lore coming up soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. <laughs> well, my two uh, choices, I have two this week for news and notes. Cool. Um, they're both expansions to a game called Age of Steam. Um, it's they're they're packed together though. When you get one, you get the other. Um, it's the Disco Inferno and Soul Train expansions to Age of Steam. What? Now stay with me. Are we here. talking about the same Age of Steam that <laughs> we I are. think we're talking about? We are. <laughs> Released in 2002, Age of Steam was Warfrog Games' first rail game. Designer Martin Wallace refined one of his popular rail rule systems to include several new and distinctive features, including the ability to build your own routes and to develop towns into cities. The original game was based in 19th century America, but many of the expansions followed um, taking the game around the world. Competition is brutal, and the game usually ends up going to the player who plans the most carefully, so it's very sort of high strategy in terms of the rail system kind of games. Now, these expansions were done by a fellow named Ted Alspach by Bezier Games, um, they'll do three to six players, about two hours play time, and you can um, get them for about twenty-five dollars. Um, these these expansions, however, take an otherwise traditional rail game in completely new and funky directions, which I just think I is was hoping mechanically they were going to play out cool. as fun as they sound that they're going to be. Yeah, I just can't imagine that they're not going to be cool. And to be honest, I haven't actually ever played. Age of Steam, but reading about these expansions make me want to run out and actually <laughs> learn how to play Age of Steam simply so I can learn what how to play. What were those names again? They were just too fun. Not Disco to... Inferno and Soul Train. So in <laughs> Disco Inferno, you're setting up routes for disco dancers with the good goods cubes to be shuttled between various discotheques on a map covered with flames. Uh, <laughs> unique features of this map include empty cities that burn to the ground when goods are empties out, emptied out of them as well as the ability to chain deliveries together from one city to the next to up your locomotive strength. Um, in Soul Train, you must build a train to carry souls, uh, condemned <laughs> souls, which are the, the goods cubes again, from hell to earth, and then deliver them to their final resting spot in heaven. Oh my. This Age of Steam expansion uses the bottom of the Disco Inferno board for the first part of the game, um, and then as you deliver your cubes from hell to earth, you flip over the hell board and it becomes heaven. And you go from heaven 
or from that's Earth to cool. Heaven from there. So I think that's a really inventive way to sort of make your boards do double duty. Well, Sultan, that sounds pretty good. I think <laughs> it has a good beat. I give it an eight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just think it's awesome to take you know this sort of perhaps what you think of as kind of a stodgy, very traditional kind of board game and find a way to make these new twists to it that that really give an otherwise already really good game an interesting and new twist. So those are available now, and we'll have links to those in the show notes. Those sound like a hoot. Um, (laughs) So I'm definitely looking forward. I think I need to pick up Age of Steam just so I can play Disco Inferno and and turn up the turn up the CD and <laughs> exactly and put on the fake fro. The list. Over a decade ago, we took up the challenge of playing every unplayed game in our collection. Each week on the Spiel, we play one or two games off our unplayed list. The list started over 100 and has been as low as 30, but we're at peace with the fact that we'll probably never get to the end. After all, life would be awfully boring without new games to play. Let's see which games get crossed off the list. So we get to cross off quite a few games off our list this yeah, time. Yeah, this was an awesome... Some people might think we're cheating a little bit since uh, we're, we're doubling up with uh, multiple expansions in both of the games we're playing. Right. Um, the first one on the list tonight is um, we're doing a couple expansions to Niagara. Um, Spirits of Niagara and Diamond Joe. Um, these two expansions, um, one free and one not, add new elements and action to an already great game. So here's just a little bit of background. Um, Niagara and all these expansions were done, were designed by Thomas Leishing. Uh, they were published by Rio Grande Games. Three to six players about 45 minutes on the average game, and you can pick up Spirits of Niagara, which is the the um, one that actually costs, is uh, $20. Um, so Niagara, the basic game, before we get into the expansions, is played on a board which drapes over the edge of the game box to form Niagara Falls, which is really cool. Players will maneuver their canoes down the river, attempting to pick up sets of gems sorted by either color or number, the canoes rest on clear discs, which slide down uh, towards the falls each turn, making it a constant struggle to keep your canoe from going over the edge. If this wasn't enough, players can try to steal gems from each other and also affect the weather to try to make the river flow faster or slower. So that's the basic game. So here's what uh, Spirits of Niagara adds. Spirits of Niagara adds tandem canoes, which can hold extra gems, new paddle tiles, which will um, control your canoe's movement, a whirlpool, which can trap your canoe in places you don't want it to be, uh, a beaver, which resets the weather. I don't know why the beaver resets the weather, but we'll get to that in a minute. And an elk, which makes your canoe faster. Last, but certainly not least, Diamond Joe is a small little free um, add-on. It adds a neutral white canoe to the board. Joe will float downstream and pick up gems, and then try to paddle upstream, uh, players can trade or, or um, swap with Joe as needed um, following the original rules that are set out in Niagara. Um, so that kind of gives you the, an overview of the basic game and then the expansions and what it adds on. Um, I think it's a really uh, worthy addition to the, to the game. And in a way, I don't know that, that I'd want to play without um, the 
addition of, of yeah. some of some of the elements. I agree. It's one of those games. I believe it didn't it win the Spiel des Jahres a couple of years ago, yes, maybe it, it 04 or something like that. So it, it obviously is a great game by itself. But we've played it several times, enjoying it every time, and there's always one or two little things that while they don't ruin the game or make it a bad game, you just wish that it was taken that step farther. And I think this expansion and a couple of things that, is, that it added did exactly that. I would agree. It addresses those concerns. Yep. To me, it just it makes the whole board more in play. That's it. One of the original strategies that, that worked really well in... Niagara without the expansions was there was one little stop off where you could get purple gems um, and the the ways you can win are to get either uh, seven total gems off the board and back to the to the shore um, four of one color of gems or one of of each each. of the different colors of gems and because the purple little pot of gems was so close it was really easy for the person who went first to jump out to an early lead exactly. and really put pressure on the other players to snap up the other purple gems. Well, now the Whirlpool, which is on one of the plastic discs, sits right smack on top of the purple pot there. So it makes it extremely... You can't actually get to the purple yep. area on your first turn. The very turn. first turn, it's impossible to get those easiest gems, which is <laughs> it's great. Yeah, um, I think the addition of the new tiles, the new movement tiles, are really cool. They actually add one that allows you to to uh, move no no move spaces no, at exactly. all. You could, it's a little rope tile, and uh, by playing that tile on your turn, um, you're able to not have your canoe affected by either the river or get stolen. And you're basically from. just like lassoing some tree <laughs> on the on the river side, pulling yourself over, waiting for it to go by, and then head back out. Um, which you, awesome. I remember thinking that many times in night. Oh, man, if I could only just, just stay put exactly. one turn, I'd be fine. So I think that's really cool. Um, and then the elk. The elk. Down at the very edge of the falls, right before you go over the falls, is a little pot that has, which uh, colors Pink down? and blue. The pink guys are way down towards the end, and they were just impossible to get. Not, right. I mean... In several games, you'd be lucky if one or two people got one or two of those. Now the elk is down there, so somebody can get all the way down, almost falling over the falls. They can get the elk. And the elk adds two to your movement. Exactly. So you get a red gem, and now you boost your movement by two, which helps you fight the force of the river as you're trying to get back upstream, which is usually impossible. <laughs> yes. Now, now that's only if the uh, the insane mad fish... Uh, <laughs> vortex. Vortex is not in your way. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but so both those great additions. Yeah, because to me that that was the one. Like we said, with the the purple gems, the gems that were closer, that were further up the falls, were easier, and you tended to congregate around those right. gems a lot more. With this one, because there are more high movement cards, and there's actually a movement tile that it lets you choose whether you want to move one, two, or three. Right. It gives you a little more flexibility and brings those pink and blue gems that are really close to the edge of the board. You actually want to go after those now, where before the the risk-reward was much more, well, screw that, I'll stay up and get the ones that are easier to get. (laughs) The the other one of the uh, movement tiles is a seven. So add that to the the crazy moose. I mean, potentially (laughs) you can move nine spaces. Yeah. You know, that's (laughs) insane because in the old one, six was the big boy. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So that's awesome. <laughs> I'm not really sure what the deal was with the weather-changing beaver. No. It's a cute little... He just you, wanted a beaver in the game. Yeah. It's an awesome little wooden beaver yeah. um, that you actually you know put on the, the discs. And it, as soon as the weather gets shifted, one of the tiles you have can affect the weather. And it'll make the the river move a little faster or a little slower. When the, when the weather has gotten to the point where it can't get any worse... The beaver jumps into the river, and the minute the beaver goes over the falls, the weather resets back to to zero. I'm not really sure what he was going with with the connection there, but it I understand mechanically why you could get a game where if the river was just stuck on you know flowing really fast, why you'd want to pull it back. <laughs> but the the uh, the thought of the beaver with weather satellites just cracks me up. Maybe it has something to do with him seeing his shadow. <laughs> and then the weather changes. I don't know. I think that's groundhog. Oh, okay, isn't it? okay, that's it. You know what I like the the little beaver, the actual little piece mm-hmm. is looks like it's been chiseled out of a piece of wood, like a beaver would have. Yeah, you know, like, done with his teeth gnawed on it. Yeah, I thought that was just funny. Yeah, that was very funny. <laughs> so, um, what's uh, your thoughts in terms of likes, dislikes? Otherwise, you know, I, I was very afraid of this expansion because the game was so good on its own. I'm like, oh. Are they just trying to capitalize on the popularity of the game mm-hmm. and just put something out just to put it out? Uh, but I don't think they did that. I think that it's everything they put in is really cool. And you know what's really neat? They don't suggest this in the rules. I think you could pick and choose which things you added. Sure. I don't think you would have to add everything. If you, just, if you didn't like the fact that you had a double canoe, you could just add in the whirlpool and maybe the... Um, the crazy beaver, yeah, and that's it. Or you could just put in just the elk, yeah. You know, it's almost like a series of mini expansions that, within yeah, one exactly. expansion. Right. I would totally agree with that. And I guess we should mention Diamond Joe. We haven't really talked about Diamond Joe much, but I like the addition of having that that yeah. neutral canoe that yeah they um it can even screw you up. I was gonna I mean, say they play him off to be this guy that's Mister Friendly. He's out there to help you, but more often than not, he's taking the stuff from the little pools of gems that you need. You're like, hey, wait. Yeah. I was just getting ready to get that. <laughs> in our particular game, I was trying to... I went for the getting four of all one color, and I was trying desperately to get the last uh, blue gem, and stinking Diamond Joe got to it before <laughs> me, and then went upstream, and someone else stole it from Diamond <laughs> Joe, so it was you know twice gone before I could even get close to it. But I like that, right. that random element to, to it, because you never... It's really hard to predict where he's going to go because his movement is based on whoever the same movement that the first player's tile is. So if the first player on a given turn turns over a seven, Diamond Joe's moving seven, but he also moves after the river, which uh, adds a, an interesting element because it's just really hard to predict where he's going to be. And we um, we played tonight with three people, and the expansion actually increases. Um, the game's potential to six players. Which is awesome. I can't imagine 12 canoes on on that river. <laughs> that would be crazy. It would just be zany. <laughs> so I'm looking for... I would play it again. I would oh. definitely... In fact, I don't think it was broken to begin with. No. But there are things that it addresses that make the game even better, I think, exactly. as a result of the expansion. This, this and that comes, to me... Yeah. This game comes out all the time, and now it's going to even come out more. Yeah. That just justifies the... You right. Know, justifies its expansionness. By you want if you're going to come out with an expansion, you want to feel like it adds something substantive right. to the game, and this one passes that test in by flying colors. I would Absolutely. say. Absolutely. <laughs> so there's a there's two two games yeah. off the list in one play. Woo-hoo. There, Diamond Joe, 
and uh, Spirits of Niagara. Awesome game. Okay, number two off the list. Really, maybe number two, three, four, five, <laughs> seven, however Eight, nine, many. <laughs> exactly. Is Blue Moon. And it is a two-player card game. It was co-published in 2004 by Cosmos and Fantasy Flight. It was designed by our favorite game designer, Rainer Kinesia. Um, the base game lists for about 25 bucks, but you can get it for around 16 to $20. There's currently eight expansions out for this game. Four expansions came out in 2004, and four more came out in 2005. Wow. Uh, they all list for 10 bucks, but you can find them... Six fifty to eight bucks. Yeah, so very that, reasonable. Yeah, that makes basically the entire game. If you wanted to go out and buy it online, sixty bucks or something, which is great. Yeah. Um, there is a new expansion coming out for this. <laughs> As but if wait, there's, not, there's more. Exactly, and probably there will be more after that. So if you like it, there's no end in sight. Uh, tonight we played several games of Blue Moon. Um, and we used a mixture of all the available expansions that we have, which are, are all of them right now. Um, I'll give you... The Legend of Blue Moon goes a little something like this. The killing of the Golden Dragon and the disappearance of Blue Moon, the creator of all things, has decimated the city of Blue Moon, plunging it into the Dark Ages. With the old king dead, the two royal heirs, who blame each other for this disaster, both claim rights to the throne. Enter you, the player. As one of these heirs, you will need to rally the people and their leaders around you in an attempt to pursue your rightful position as king. Once Blue Moon City has a new king, the people can be united, the city rebuilt, and hopefully Blue Moon will return. So that's kind of a fun little yeah. thematic, yeah, it's, you know. They, they've gone the extra mile to really come up with an interesting fairly story. Fairly epic think. and... You know, really kind of cool and sort unique. Sort of half science fiction, half fantasy, I right. would say. It's kind of slipstreamish. Exactly. And it does. The, the artwork makes it feel like that, too, mm-hmm. on, that's on the cards. Uh, the object of the game is to, through a series of games, and each game being subdivided into a series of fights, you're attempting to win battles and earn five crystals by attracting the elemental dragons to your side of the board. Which so you're is, trying to curry their favor, sort yeah, of. Yeah, Exactly. Which is kind of another cool, I mean, heck, throw dragons in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Basically, at its heart, this is just a two-player card game. And like I said, it's a series of fights where you're playing character cards uh, that have strengths, either in fire or in earth. And you're making an attack on your opponent, and your attack is going to have to fend off that attack by making a counterattack. If successful, then you'll have to yet... Make another counterattack. If not successful, they'll be forced to retreat. Boom, you're going to attract a dragon. Sounds pretty simple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but as we found out tonight, whoo, it is, it's just crazy. The, the number of cards that are available to you now and the number of ways that you can mix them together and either choose to create your own deck or use pre-assembled decks yeah. are just crazy. Yeah, it's dizzying the, the yeah. number of choices you have. And right. The number of special, we've sort of explained the basic rules, but then almost, I'd say 60% of the cards break one or more right. of the rules, you know, in the text, the special abilities of each of the cards, so. Exactly. It, it kind of, at its heart, it feels like um, a CCG, a collectible yes. card game. Yes, I think, you it, know, it, it's worth noting in case it is escaped um, attention so far that this is not 
a collectible card game. Right. That all these expansions, you're not buying booster packs that are randomly sorted with rare cards. When you buy the expansion, you're getting every card in the expansion. So it is, even if you just get the basic Blue Moon set, it is a complete set of those cards of those races so you could play with that and be just fine but these expansions are what really sort of add extra depth to the game because they add sort of a deck building game exactly aspect to the game uh go on sorry i don't know jump in too much that's exactly what i was going to (laughs) say um the cool thing about this is the first six expansions were just new races they were all pre-constructed so you could just open them out of the box and play them but the really unique part came in these last two expansions that were the Emissaries and the Inquisitors. There was actually two of these sets released, and each one had some Inquisitors and some Emissaries. And what this allowed you to do, the Emissaries allowed you to kind of take that half step in between playing a pre-constructed deck and between constructing your own, mm-hmm. you know, actually your own unique deck. It basically allowed you to choose an Emissary... And that particular emissary would list off seven cards that you could add into a pre-constructed deck. So you could then go back to any one of your eight races and say, well, I think I'll try the Volca with this emissary, which adds these seven cards. And see how that combination And see kind of how that combo works. And then turn around and go, you know what? I'm going to try the Flit with this different emissary who puts in these different seven cards. So right there, the combos while not limitless, are still rather large. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's not even having to go through the trouble to pre-construct your own deck. Then you can add the Inquisitors, <laughs> where you can pre-construct your own deck. And the, and the Inquisitors, usually you have to follow a rather strict way of how you build your deck, how many cards can be in it, what types of cards. These kind of break the rules and say, you know what, you can do that, but in addition to that, you can do this and this. Mm-hmm. You may get an extra five cards. Right. Or... Um, an extra the the moons which determine kind of the power of the card. You know, you might get an extra few moons worth of cards. Right, exactly. So it's it's just really cool. I love how they've done the sort of stepping stone aspect to you can play it just sort of out of the box with the preconstructed thing, right. just to kind of learn the way the game works. And then the first step after that is the emissaries, where you kind of add a little bit of that randomness in and kind of begin to see how all these sort of separate things suddenly interact in ways that were totally planned, but you still have that kind of light bulb moment right. where you're like, well, that's really cool. I see how these two different races, you know, you could filter in a bunch of these cards without it being overwhelming and just having, you know, 500 cards in front of you. Exactly. And going, good God, which one of, you know, these 500 cards am I going to build my 30 deck, 30, you know, card deck out of? I, I like that... Um while this kind of conforms to a lot of CCGs, the the mechanics are just different enough mm-hmm. um, that there's actually a board included with the game that shows you specific locations to play your cards. It allows you to kind of keep everything in an order. Mm-hmm. And then on the board is printed um, the order of phases for your turn. And it kind of steps you... handy, yeah. It kind of steps you through each one. The cards are... I think one of the most unique things is the text on the cards <laughs> are are written so that you can read them out al- out loud, <laughs> and they actually read as if you were talking to the other player. Yeah, which is I don't think I've ever played yeah. a game that has card text on cards like that. Mm-hmm. So, 
if I retreat this turn, then you don't get to claim a dragon or right. something like Ex- that would exactly. be an exact, you know, that's how the, the cards are phrased. You sound kind of dippy the first couple times <laughs> exactly. you read them, but then you realize it's actually kind of helpful right. in just understanding what they actually do within the mechanics of the game and actually... I thought it was very helpful to me. A lot, definitely. <laughs> you know, we've we've played Blue Moon prior to to this sort of t- play test session with the expansions, and it only sort of re re cemented how the whole game worked, having the the text written the way it was. I thought right. It's it was cool. Another unique thing is that you think of games like this being these long series of battles. Where <laughs> cards are added on top of cards on top of cards, and they these huge fights. This is like anti that. <laughs> it's like you play two cards, battle over. You know, you're not tr- you're not trying to do that, right? But it, it's just really hard. I think it would. He designed this specifically because one of the one of the things that we had, yeah, one of the things we haven't told you is that um, if you win a battle with six or more cards played to your side, you're going to attract one additional dragon to the to the dragon that you would have attracted just for winning. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think, maybe twice in all of our games tonight did we actually get six or more cards yeah. out. It's just, it's really tough. Once you see someone getting close to that, you probably, I mean, there's strategy says you might even choose to retreat before the player can get to that six exactly. cards just to deny them that, exactly. extra, that extra dragon because it's so hard to... <laughs> to keep them on your side of the board or to get them back to the middle. That's the other thing, I guess, with the board in the middle... If Dave, for instance, has attracted the red dragon to his side of the board, if I win a battle, the red dragon doesn't come to me. The red dragon goes back to the middle of the board. So it actually takes, once your opponent has a dragon on his right. side of the board, it actually takes two victories to get, to that, get that dragon back to your side of the and, board. And while if I do, while I have that red dragon on my side of the board, you in fact can't attract any other dragons. You right. first have to bring that one back to the center because only one person at a time can have any dragons mm-hmm. on their side of the board. I uh, I thought that the mechanics, in terms of the the way the game worked, because it was so unique, it felt it was a little stilted or jilted or not jilted, but stilted the first awkward. time. Yeah, it was a little herky jerky. Just the way uh-huh. each turn went. It, that took longer to kind of get used to than I was expecting, having played the game even before. But I would say by the end, we had really kind of gotten up to speed on that more so, more or less. I think more our unfamiliarity with all the different card combos and right. things probably led into Since that. we chose to play with everything, there were certain abilities that we hadn't played with before. And- yeah. I mean, I wonder if, as you kind of get more familiar with the the deck building aspects, whether it's easier to kind of come out with those big card combos and to get those six points. You know, maybe some of our quick and dirty (laughs) turnover battles may be due to just the fact that that's kind of where we're at in sort of learning the game. Um, But that's kind of cool that you've got that aspect built in, that, you know, as you kind of learn the strategies that you use kind of to begin with may not muster what through you end up with in exactly. the end when, when you uh <laughs> well we were already by our final game we were finding all these heinous combos that if we each had our own set mm-hmm. complete full set we're like oh i could have put this with two of those and one of these <laughs> in there and that that's sort of the game outside the game which is, is right. something that i think a collectible card game has going Brings for it, the is table that, big time right. that deck building aspect of you can lay out all your card collection in front of you and and 
begin to say, oh, these cards would work really well together and, you know, within the limits of the rules, build some really interesting um, card combinations so that you could say, you know, okay, in a month, Dave, we're going to play Blue Moon again. All the expansions, anything goes, um, and we'll sit down and throw down in, in a month, and you've got all that time to sort of wheel and deal. And, and tweak these decks. And that's really part of the game, you know, is, is you're already playing the game a month out. And, and the only advantage that one person has over another is what they can think of, mm -hmm. because you don't have to worry about somebody who's collected four bajillion cards, because all you can buy is just this one set, because um, one of the building rules is that there's only one of each identical card per deck. Right. So you can't have, well, that's a neat <laughs> card, I'll put four of them yeah, in there. Yeah, you can't go buy five yeah. of the so flit expansion. Yeah, there's no use, to, you, no use to buy more than one of each expansion. Period. Yeah. And so, no Mr. Suitcase showing <laughs> yes. up at the door with 4,000 billion cards. Yeah, so. I got sort of burned out on collectible card games for that very reason. But this, to me, it fills that, that appetite right. to a T. Because it has all the aspects that I really like about collectible card games without having to be worried about, you know, I can, I can be in for 50 bucks and have most, you know, the game and be able to have all the things that I think are really cool about collectible card games without... The big holes exactly. in my pocket. Right. And did, did we mention that there's the the Buka expansion oh, coming out? You no, know, you didn't. Buka Invasion is the name <laughs> of the next expansion that's coming out. I think we have to mention some of the goofy uh, card names oh. to each of the races. You know, the uh, name I rattle find, off some of the races. We've got the um, you've um, got the Flit, the Terra, um, Kind, the Tutu, Mimics, Aqua, Pillar. Tutu, Hyla. <laughs> but like the the pillar, um, <laughs> they're all, they're like people. They're sort of anthropomorphic caterpillars, which sort of I didn't get until about halfway <laughs> through the game. I'm like, ah, oh, they're the pillars. Yeah, I feel pretty stupid now that I didn't notice that. But I had like, I think I had Smartia Pantia. <laughs> Oh, as one yeah, of my characters. Exactly. Biggest muscle. Biggest muscle. And... <laughs> I'm like, I'm, so, I was curious to see this game in German. You know, <laughs> if these were translated over exactly how they are, whether they kind of fudged a little bit for English. So it's nice that they don't really take it. They don't take it for as, as high strategy as the game is on some level. Right. It doesn't really take itself too seriously no. either, which is cool. But I then think. on the flip side of that, you look at the artwork and it's. In most oh, cases, gorgeous. gorgeous and very serious. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not a lot of goofy-looking little cartoon characters. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's and pretty each, cool. I guess each race really, I mean, maybe we haven't stressed this enough, that each race really does have its own defined way right. of sort of going about winning the game yep. that I think really adds a lot to the, the game, too. It's not just that the races are just sort of pasted on with neat artwork and different colors. There are totally different strategies for each of these different expansions that um, right, like the, uh, we just have scratched the surface of, of the possibilities. Yeah, the, the the race you played last was the kind, and they had an ability that everybody wishes they could do, <laughs> and that was that once a card's played, it can stay played for future rounds. Most character cards, they come out one round, they're gone the next round, and replaced by a new card, yep, which so. makes it really hard, <laughs> but... They're, they're little weenies. I mean, each one of them individually doesn't do much, but if you can get several of them into your hand, you can flop out yeah. two or three you, of the you kind at once. smack down my <laughs> huge, big Terra, yep. you know, big, meaty, muscly yep. stone guys with these little Yep, the little green-haired punk green, hobbits. Exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> very, very fun.
yeah, I, I you know, I don't think there's so much to say and to to delve into that we've really only scratched the surface. Barely. I think I think all we can do is encourage you if if what you've heard sounds interesting, you know, get the basic set and you don't have to buy them all at once. You could just get a couple of these little expansion packs for 6 bucks and yeah. begin to see what we're talking about and then maybe the light bulb will go on and say, "Oh, well, definitely I think it's worth, you know, investing in the rest of the the expansions exactly. at that point." But I think my top one would be definitely the emissaries and right. inquisitors just because mechanically it adds such an interesting yep. twist. And I think it's important to let everybody know that I think it's important that you get both of those sets. I would agree. Um you don't have to have all the other peoples, but if you're going to buy one of the emissaries and inquisitors, buy them both because you really don't have a complete set of that until you get both of those. Mm-hmm. And I think that can those can be utilized without purchasing the other people decks. Mhm. So, well, in fact, you even said the rules were a little confusing if you bought one and not the other because it makes reference to cards yeah, that are in to a the quantity other. of cards that you won't have until you've purchased both. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of strange, but um, I think we'll definitely play this. It's not a question of you know if it's going to be win because there's so many possibilities to explore. I can't wait to and, and check once you them out. have the basic mechanics down, because the mechanics of the game are not that difficult to understand. No. The real strategy comes into the whole amassing the cards into this interesting mix of different races that might be able to counter or dovetail nicely with each exactly. other that uh it really encourages you to that to that and end. if so, if the atmosphere of this game is something that interests you you can go one step further that's true. with blue moon city that just came out and is thematically tied in with this where Blue Moon City in this game has been destroyed, and we're now fighting for control. Heirs fighting for control of what's left. When you finally get past this game and you pick an heir, and there's a new king, if you move on to the get the board game Blue Moon City, you're now rebuilding the city, and you're trying to curry favor with those same dragons exactly. to get help to rebuild the best in a particular quadrant of the exactly. city. Which, so it's that's really neat. I love the the fact that they're actually taking the narrative seriously. And right. Not seriously, but they're right. actually following through with the narrative and it's not just, oh well, we gotta have some story to kind of stitch the thing together. Exactly. That it actually sort of continues the story on. So now I'm just game. waiting for the all powerful blue moon to come back <laughs> and there's gonna be some third incarnation out there. <laughs> if you're listening, Dr. Kinesia, <laughs> we would play it. <laughs> well, um, I don't know how many we oh. get to cross off the list, but it's... Uh, it's substantial. I, I think it's a record uh, for us. It has to be. <laughs> I think... Oh, before I before we go, if you're interested in Blue Moon City, we give a little more information about it, too, in uh, episode 10 of the oh. spiel in our Gen Con wrap-up, because we actually got to sit down and play it. That's so, right, we did. So um, you, could look, uh, you could download and listen to episode 10 if you want a little more information about... Cool. About that one, but uh, I'm. This is probably a record for the spiel for the number of games we get to check off the list. Would yeah, you say a minimum of five to like eight or nine? That's sweet. <laughs> that's like I don't know, maybe almost ten percent. So a little less that, than ten percent of our list. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Scary. Might not happen again. So <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> two games, two two great games. Yep, and and the expansions are all worthy investments. I would say. Definitely. Backshelf Spotlight. These games need some love, and we're going to give it to them. The Backshelf Spotlight shines on those games that may have slipped past your attention. Classic games, rare games, 
obscure games that you may not know about, but you should. If you're looking to branch out and try something new, this would be a good place to start. And now welcome back to one of our favorite segments of the show, the Backshelf Spotlight. If you'll remember from the last episode, there was a some kind of sneaky connection between the very unlikely two <laughs> games of Chainsaw Warrior and Samurai. If you haven't figured it out, the connection was that they both have puzzle piece board games. <laughs> yep. Or boards to, yeah. to the games themselves. <laughs> yes. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of them. That would have been rather easy. If not, that might have been a tough tough connection. Mm-hmm. Most of the early Games Workshop stuff actually were, they might have been some of the first games to be. Puzzle piece puzzle boards. Puzzle piece yeah. boards. Yeah. You know, but that was the connection. <laughs> as evil or as cool as it was, there it is. Send your bitch slaps to yeah, yeah, exactly. Stephen at thespiel.net or, or Dave. Dave at somewhere. <laughs> .net. <laughs> Perhaps we know who came up with that connection now. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on to the new yes. Backshelf Spotlight. We have a couple, two really, I think, great games. Yep, keep in mind, there are connections. We, we play this puzzle game every week. Um, you, there are going to be connections between the games that we mention. And uh, very soon, I'm hoping, within the next couple episodes, we'll even offer some prizes Woo-hoo! to people who guess correctly. we win correctly. the prizes? Um, no, no, I'm okay. afraid not. <laughs> um, unless you bribe one of either me or you. <laughs> Are you hey, bribable? I think I could bribe myself. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, games, I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, keep in mind there are connections. If you email us with the your guesses and you get it right in the future, you might get some prizes. For now, it's just for, for glory and honor. Just for bragging rights. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So okay. go on, sorry. Well, the first game in the spotlight uh, for this episode is Web of Power. It is unfortunately out of print now. It was co-published in 2000 by Rio Grande and Gold Sieber. It was designed by Michael Schott. He did other games like Paris Paris, Magna Grecia, Hansa, and Hispaniola. All pretty cool games in their own right. Um, what you can do is there is a game um, called China put out by Uberplay that you can still get that is basically this exact same game. Just new theme. Just a new theme wrapped around it. Um, and you can still get it for around 35 bucks. So if this sounds like something you're interested in, you can actually still get your hands on some version of this. Um, this game is a classic, I think, that gets overlooked by a lot of people. I would consider this El Grande Light. <laughs> this this has everything that El Grande has going for it. This has in just a little smaller package and a little lighter package. So this would be a great way to break in to an inf- influence style game that El Grande is <laughs> without getting into the crazy over-the-top meatiness of that type of game. That's an awesome way to put it, I think. The, um, I w- basically, this co- the game is very simple. There's a board with several countries and each country has several little cities or cloisters in them. And then there's a deck of cards, and each card um, shows one of the cloisters, uh, or actually one of the countries. On your turn, you're going to just play cards and play cloisters and or advisors out to those particular countries, all in an attempt to 
you know, expound on the influence that you have over these countries. And then, like other games like this, there'll be, um, I think there's two scorings in this game. There's a a Mm -hmm. scoring midpoint. When you run out of cards, there's a midway scoring where you're going to score the number of cloisters that you had managed to get out through the first section. Then you're going to shuffle up the cards, play it a second time around, and after the cards run out, then there's going to be a full scoring where you score how many cloisters you got out, how many um, advisors, and the advisors aren't just how many that you got out. It's um, I can't remember what they call the particular type of scoring with the um, with the advisors, but you're actually scoring. Um, they're not they're scored by their alliances that they've made between the countries, and it's a really unique mechanic of putting advisors in this country and in the other countries adjacent to it so you can create alliances between <laughs> them and score. And then at the very, the last type of scoring is chains that you have created of your cloisters. Um, it's just really cool. It's very simple. I think the rule book is maybe two and a half pages. Yeah. Something like that. It doesn't look like for the, the pieces and the kind, the style game it looks like, you wouldn't guess that the rules would be that sort of st- Straightforward, right? It's it's basically, you know, draw. I mean, basically play one to three cards. Each card you play allows you to play a piece to the board, and then you refill your hand and go on. It's, you know, it's, it's it's certainly a game that when you mentioned it, it was one that I said, "Hey, yeah, we haven't played that game in forever." Right. And then when you started, you know, talking about why you thought we should have it on this segment, I was like. Absolutely, I can't believe we haven't brought that brought that out more often and and played it because it's it has it's like it's one really of those good. very elegant systems where you can learn it in like four minutes, you know, and pull your hair out for the next forty five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, well, I think that's an awesome awesome choice. Cool, yeah. If you haven't got this, look for it. If you can't find it, China. And I've actually heard um, that China is. Um, a very worthy, there's like just a couple tweaks. I've heard it's um, thematically a little cooler and then maybe just one or two little mechanical twists that really don't change the game at all but just make China a little bit kind different. of a little bit different so it's not exactly the same. Not just a carbon copy. Cool. Well, excellent choice. Um, the second one, also an excellent choice. This one's a little more recent. Might not have collected so much dust off the back <laughs> shelf. Um but it's definitely worthy of mention in case there are some people out there who haven't or aren't not aware of it. And that is Ticket to Ride. Oh. Um, Alan Moon is the designer. Days of Wonder is the publisher. Two to five players. About 45 minutes to a game. And you can find it online at most of the retailers for around $30. Um, I would think I consider Ticket to Ride to be a new classic. Um, it's a great entry-level rail game for all ages. When we talk about games with elegant game rules, Ticket to Ride is close to the top of my list. Alan Moon, the designer, says, in fact, of Ticket to Ride, the rules are simple enough to write on a train ticket. Each turn, you either draw more cards, claim a route, or get additional destination tickets. So the basic gist of the game is you're collecting colored train cards that can be used to claim routes connecting cities on the board. Uh, The longer the route the more points you're going to earn. Players hold destination tickets in secret that will give you additional points for connecting distant locales. Quoting Alan Moon again, the tension comes between the tension comes from being forced 
to balance greed and adding more cards to your hand and fear of losing a critical route to a competitor, which I think is the, great the basic concept yeah. of the game in a nutshell. Greed and fear. It's a, the game, <laughs> the basic game features an oversized board map of North America. Um, so, you, you know, it's definitely sort of like Age of Steam. It's sort of the height of the railroad's dominance, you know, the late 19th, early 20th century. Um, 225 custom-molded train cars and 144 illustrated cars and a wooden scoring markers. Um, just a absolutely in that sort of Carcassonne, Eurogame style, Euro-style game. You can't go wrong putting this out with almost any group of players, and they'll have a great time with it. Um, it is newer, so yes, maybe it doesn't qualify for the backshelf spotlight quite as much as some other games, but it's definitely it's a game that some people could overlook because, oh, I'm not into train games. Right. But this isn't your typical uh, wax pencil <laughs> connect right. in the dots kind of train game. So it's definitely one that if you if you have overlooked it or said, uh, I'm not really into that style game, I would I would encourage you to give it a second look because this is a game that would appeal to a lot of different people and that you could pull a lot of different kinds of people in to to play this kind of game. Yeah, I think I got, I got my parents to play this, and they loved it. You know, and <laughs> that's great. You know, they they wouldn't play any of these wacky European style games. Yeah. Somehow, the the train and the sort of Americanness of, of uh-huh. the sort of right. locale and things, I think, maybe doesn't set people off to think, oh, it's a you know complicated European style game or something. But I uh, think we're wearing out our welcome with the Spiel des Jahres. Yeah, <laughs> Did, didn't this just win a handful yeah, of years ago? Yeah, yeah, we're. Uh, <laughs> We're sort of picking on them, but not without purpose or, right. or praise. They're they're all praiseworthy. Of course, we uh, we would be remiss since this is the expandomatic. Exactly. Um, we have news of a new expansion. We can't make it out of this segment without an expansion. <laughs> Dave, you want to give the the lowdown yeah, on that just I sure for a, can. a um, second here? Hopefully, with any luck, um, in October, uh, Days of Wonder will be putting out an expansion called USA nineteen ten. And it's going to run about 15 bucks, so you can get it for like $10 online, which is cool. Uh, what this expansion is going to do is the original game came with fairly small little cards. So this is going to replace all those little cards with full-size cards. And it's also going to include in a bunch of new tickets and um, up to three new ways to play the original game oh, that's with awesome. the new tickets. That's really cool. So that's going to be um, all the other games in this series... Um, Ticket to Ride Europe and Ticket to Ride Markland mm-hmm. have already gone ahead and included full-size cards. Mm-hmm. So this will bring the original Ticket to Ride up to the same quality level as those guys with the big, nice full-size cards. You can't really consider Markland and uh, um, Europe expansions no. in that they're kind of standalone. They use the similar, almost exactly the same mechanics right. as Ticket to Ride, but they really are kind of standalone games yeah, each, rather than each one brings, Each one is kind of builds on the ones that came before it and just adds one new little tweak. They're all really worth having. Right. You know, um, but definitely not expansions to this one. But I thought that uh, USA 1910, I'm really looking forward to getting out, especially for the internet price of $10. Yeah. You can't, Hello? You can't beat that and get rid of the little <laughs> cards and get big size cards. Yep, be exactly. Worth it alone to me. Plus new tickets. I mean, that's great. So uh, that will... Uh cover the two games on the Backshelf Spotlight this week. Remember, uh, fearless listeners, that there is a connection between the two games, which were Web of Power and Ticket to Ride. And please send in your guesses to 
Stephen at thespiel.net. Or, or Dave at thespiel.net. And remember, you can always look back and find our other challenges on our website, which is thespiel.net. Truckloads of Goober. What is Goober, you ask? While sages and scholars may debate its subtle nuances, Dave defines Goober as either a game with a ton of quality components or a game with really unique components. Now, we're not saying that you should always judge a book by its cover, but the stuff, the goober in a game, can be a factor in having fun. Great goober can make an otherwise average game excellent. Great goober can make an already great game sublime. Let's see what the Goobermeisters have for us this week. So my turn with the uh, truckloads of goober cool. this week, uh, I, get to, I get to claim a game that fully belongs on the truckloads of goober <laughs> that you don't even own and uh, you haven't played, <laughs> mister. There, there's no such thing. Mister, you think you're the king of goober. <laughs> well, I got some goober of my own for Uh-oh. you this week. So um, for truckloads of goober this week, we're talking about The World at War. Uh, it's an expansion to Axis and Allies, um, the ah. classic um, great game. A um, little bit about the game before we get into the gory details. Um, Frank Zanow and William Kendrick were the designers. Um, it was put out by a company called Xeno Games, X-E-N-O, ah. Xeno Games. Two to five players. It's actually two to seven players now with, with the expansion of, of the game. Um they say three hours, I would say more like five to six <laughs> minimum. <laughs> oh, hey, I can't wait. But there's, it's actually going into its fifth printing. This will tell you for oh, an expansion wow. game, it's in its fifth printing. Um, and it, it runs about $47. It's harder to find um, for cheaper than that. I don't think a lot of the, the online places, but you can buy it straight from Xeno Games for about $47. Okay. So... The World at War, here's a little sort of background about okay. it. The World at War is widely accepted as the best and most successful expansion of Axis and Allies. Xeno Games takes the expansion concept literally, providing players with a larger, full-color map uh, that's more detailed and has more actual areas and countries divided up on it than the original, ah. um, and over 200 plastic playing pieces. Um, two new nations are now playable. So in addition to you know what you would normally think of as the Axis and, and the Allies, you can also play France and China. Um, so seven players can play the game instead of just five. There are specialized units within these um, 200 um, plastic pieces and specialized figurines to, to depict them, including submarine pens for the Germans and Marines for the Americans, just as an uh. example. Um, there's a deeper level of strategy and gameplay without it being just so overly complex that it doesn't really fit in with the the um, quick, not, not quick play, but the easy-to-learn play uh, style of Axis and Allies. Um, the latest printing, which is the fifth, as I mentioned, addresses all the latest rules changes in the new Hasbro Axis and Allies edition so that it's completely compatible with the new version of Axis and Allies. That's awesome. Um, You may feel like you've lasted through the war by the time (laughs) you finish this game, but personally, I can't imagine playing Axis and Allies without the World at War expansion. I've played this probably since I was maybe freshman or sophomore in in, uh, college, maybe even before that, probably a 
senior in high school, I think, is when it first came out. Um, and I've been playing it with that ever ever since. To me, the coolest aspect, in addition to the, the goober um, that it adds to the game, because this I've played this in... Uh, one of my friends was a security guard at a giant corporation, and he was the night guard, and we would set up this game and the big corporate board meeting... <laughs> Oh. <laughs> boardroom because the map was so big that you couldn't find a table big enough to fit the Did you whole get big long map. sticks so you could push your little Absolutely. Yeah, baby. Absolutely. We dialed the lights down and you know, you had your MacArthur glasses on and and would slide your pieces over the board. Um, but the the cool thing that the game adds is the game actually starts at the beginning of World War Two and goes all the way through to the end. So you have the German... The German player can actually decide like not to open a two-front war if they want. <laughs> so it's sort of... It has this kind of alternate history aspect to it of saying what if, what would have happened if um, things played out in a different way. There's even rules for the German player. They can try to assassinate Hitler at a certain <laughs> point, which actually makes it much more easy for the Germans to achieve victory. Because he's less, they're, they're less crazy, and and uh, you know, it, it, to me, I just think it adds so much level of of extra um, stuff with the the pieces being uh, differentiated in the original. Everybody could produce the same kind of units, and now each individual nation has Something its own unique. little bucket of of uh. pieces that it draws from, and each one has different statistics without changing the actual mechanics of the game. I just That's think it's cool. a brilliant add-on, and I can't believe, one, you haven't played Axis and Allies, <laughs> and two, that you, have, you don't own the, the world at the war world. to go along with it, because if you get one, Buster, you got to have the other, in my opinion. That's true. I'm going to have to break down and get it. <laughs> so that that's my truckloads of goober for this week. and uh, That was I, a pretty expansive goober. <laughs> it's, uh, it's worthy of... Uh, Worthy of expansion and worthy of uh, me taking the title of Goobermeister for, <laughs> for at least this one week. The Game Sommelier, or Right Game, Right Crowd. Like matching the perfect vintage with a delicious meal, the Game Sommelier finds the right game for any crowd, age, experience, or personality. Each week, one of us must pick five games to meet a fiendish challenge. Each week, one of us must earn the right, the honor, to be called the Game Sommelier. Here's Dave with this week's challenge. Okay, now to remind everybody of Stephen's challenge for the Game Sommelier from last episode. Stephen's challenge was to find five games that will fit into a standard airline carry-on bag that you could take on a two-week trip and have a game for any occasion. Whether it's two players, eight players, party game, strategy game, light game, mind bender game, games for kids, games not for kids, the full gamut, anything. The full Monty. Yeah, everything that you could possibly do. <laughs> this, this had to be easy. <clears throat> <clears throat> well, actually, we have quite a bit of experience at this. I, I'm sort of ashamed to admit. I, I wasn't sure if we should actually let on to that. <laughs> Hello, my name is Steven, and I'm a gameaholic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or a, or a game-a-traveler-aholic. <laughs> I don't know what to say, but this is something Dave and I do, and I thought it was a great idea for a challenge. Uh, we do this almost every time we travel together, and I know we probably do it when we travel separately, too, yeah. that um, you got to have your game pack, you know? I mean, you can't go anywhere without having games available, so... 
Um, my choices were guided by size and portability, of course, cool. as well as trying to provide the widest variety of gameplay experiences that I could. And whenever possible, if you can make a game where its components pull double duty, so much the better. My original goal was to fit all five games into a single box, because I've done this many <laughs> times, and I certainly could have done that, but I felt like that was sacrificing some important variety in the game mix. So most of the game, game components can be placed into small baggies and stored in a single game box. Um, in fact, fitting five games into a single carry-on didn't seem like a tough enough challenge, so I have a few extras that will also fit into the same carry-on, and you'll still have plenty of room for spare change of clothes in a, in a book or so. Ah, cool. Um, so in this single bag o games that I'm going to provide for you, and I will, I will admit that I actually got out my carry-on and packed these <laughs> puppies up to make sure that they would all fit. I don't have the carry-on here to prove it to him, but I, I will demonstrate. Well, you're lucky you did that, because you know <laughs> I know the measurements of all those games. <laughs> yes, he could, uh, he could definitely uh, cry foul if I uh, claimed <laughs> otherwise. So in this single bag o games, you will find a classic game, a kid's game, a Euro game, a word game, and a social-slash-party-slash-large-group game. Cool. You'll find dice, cards, tiles, and boards. All awesome. in this single bag. Everything you need for a trip and a game for any occasion. So, there are, you, go. are you ready for the Fire. list here? Fire away, baby. All right. Number one, cribbage. Oh! 1630, it was invented, and it's a classic to this day. Boards are available for 7 to $10. It's small. It's fast. It can be played with two or three or four. I've even seen rules for five or six player cribbage. Um, it also gives you a standard deck of cards, which you could use to play any other sort of standard card game. Absolutely. You could play Euchre. You could play Solitaire um, I was gonna... if you get tired of cribbage. So it's, there's, there's my double duty. There's number one. If you didn't have a standard deck of cards in there, you were going to get a thumbs down. Just for not including a standard somehow. <laughs> I'd be kicked off the yeah. plane. <laughs> the fact that you didn't just throw in a standard deck of cards, but associated it specifically with cribbage, awesome. Let me crank my thumb up. That's one thumb up. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> yeah. All right, number two, Cloud Nine. Uh, it was published in 1999. Aaron Weissbloom is the uh, designer. Out of the box is the publisher. It's a three to six player game. $12. You can find it online for about 12 bucks. Again, it's compact. It's, bo it's got a board, cards, and dice, but they could easily fit into another box, or you could use the box for Cloud9 itself, because it hasn't had a lot of extra room, to fit that standard deck of cards for the cribbage board, or extra pieces or dice for other games into the, the Cloud9 box. Um, it's a great game for all ages. Um, it's a classic press-your-luck mechanic but it adds dice and cards to the mix. Um, I think that I know we've played this um, with um, some older relatives, and they've caught on like that and really enjoyed it, and have even said, hey, let's get out that balloon game again, and I know that we've played this with six, seven-year-olds, and they've gotten yeah. onto it, so you've got a perfect game to span the generation gap, and it's actually a really fun little press-your-luck-style game, and it's fast. So you're not going to be stuck playing some kitty-type game that's going to last hours and hours. You could play a couple rounds of it and then say, okay, well, let's take a break and do something else. That, Number two. That's awesome. You know what? I think out of the box was thinking, travel with me. 
when they <laughs> when they made that game because yep. it is packed so well and so small, but it opens up big. It plays awesome and it has cool components it too. Has it's awesome not just compo- yeah. it's got a little balloon basket yeah. that's you put on stilts that you move up and down the board as you're you know you're trying to decide when do I get off the balloon to get my points. Um, the fact I, that you can take that type of unique component with you on a trip is awesome too. You know, yeah. you really feel like you're not just you know showing up and playing. Yeah, you don't have to just have a deck of cards. Exactly. I mean, you can actually play a nice one of these games without having to be a giant type board game. Um, so S- second thumbs up, awesome. Ding. Um, number three, the Euro game on the list, Carcassonne. Cool. Uh, 2000 published. Public, uh, Klaus Jurgen Reed is the designer. Rio Grande Games. Um, two to six players. I'm also I'm including um, possible bringing expansions along. Cool. Because they would be easy to bring. Twenty dollars for the basic. Obviously, be a little more if you got some of the expansions. Um, tiles and meeples could be stored easily in a drawstring bag and stowed along um, in a box or just sort of stuffed in between your. Your folded-up shirts or something. Jockey shorts, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> hey, man, these are games. They deserve better than your crappy underwear. Yeah. Are those meeples in your shorts, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, it can scale up to six players, but the cool thing is it's just as fun with two. So if you only had two people who are really into sort of a hardcore Euro-style game, you could pull out Carcassonne, and it's going to be just as fun whether you have two or whether you have six people. Um, the other cool thing is you could add on a couple of the expansions. It's just a few extra tiles that you throw in the bag, and that adds extra extra strategy and depth to the game. So you might play the game early on in the trip and teach people how to play Carcassonne, you know, day one or two of this two, three-week trip. And then once they kind of get their sea legs and, and understand how the game is played, you could have the expansions and build onto that in future playings so that, you know, by the end of the trip, they're... Super Carcassonified. <laughs> yeah, that's number three. That that's awesome. Yeah, that counts as like five games by itself. <laughs> yep, that's great. I told you I'm going for quantity here. Thumbs up. I raised Huge. I raised the bar on myself. Whew. Number four is the word game on the list. Palabra, poker, Scrabble, and Rummy combined. <laughs> you just wanted to say that. <laughs> I have to say that. <laughs> so Palabra was first. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, man. I'm losing my voice was uh, published in 1990. Unfortunately, no designer credited. Palabra Enterprises is the um, publisher. Three to six players, $13 for the game. Um, the reason I say poker, rummy, and Scrabble combined, <laughs> two years ago at Gen Con, the, the poor Palabra people, I'm mocking the hell out of them here, but they sat outside their booth just saying this phrase over and over. Hey, it worked, because I remember it to this day. Yep. But it literally is just as that that little catchphrase describes, you have symbols, colors, and letters on the cards. It's a card game again, um, for portability's sake. Um, it gives you a gives players a dizzying array of scoring options with each hand. You can go for the building the letters. You can go for sort of straights like you would with a poker hand, or you could try to build sets with the symbols based on the colors or the matches. The emphasis is slightly skewed towards the word building. But I think the cool thing is that all the other scoring options make it possible for a player who hates or is bad at word games to still have a good time with this game. So you don't have to say, oh, God, they're playing Scrabble. Let me out of here. You could still draw people in to play this game 
that might not even necessarily be word game players. So, and it's a single deck of cards that could easily fit into any box. Number that's, four. That's awesome. <laughs> that is that is. It's, bing. <laughs> Number four. Thumbs up. You keep thinking you're gonna shoot me down, yeah. but you're not gonna do it. <laughs> so. This is going to be a three-parter, just because I wanted to make it a little harder on myself. So this is the social game. Okay. I think you could pick any one of these. I'm going to... First one's my first choice, but you could fit all three of these in the carry-on. No problem at all. So first one is I'm the Boss. (laughs) Uh, 1994 Sid Saxon Classic face-to-face games, two to six players, $23. Um... So this game is just a loud, rowdy, raucous, fun kind of party game. Up to 16 deals can be made over the course of the game, and the player who successfully makes the deal is given a certain amount of money. However, in order to close the deal, you need to seek help from the other players in exchange for a piece of that payoff. Complicating matters quite a bit, each player has a hand of action cards, which can be used to derail negotiations. After 10 deals have been made... A die is rolled each turn to determine if the game is over, with victory going to the person who has the biggest bankroll. As I just said, it's raucous, rowdy fun with tons of interaction and opportunities for metagaming. So much of the game takes place sort of outside of the game that, you know, the game is just sort of an excuse to to be loud and rowdy with your friends in in a way, I think. Um, The game board could be packed separately. It does have a board, Mm -hmm. but it could be packed separately and safely, I think, from the the main components, which could be stored inside of a, a game box. I've done this many times with, with, with board games. It's not a huge board. It's just a little square just board square. that could be folded up in half and put like securely in the middle of your carry-on so that it's not going to get rustled around unless you're uh, strip-searched by the TSA <laughs> and uh, they get into all your stuff and they're gamers and, and steal all your games. Exactly. But hopefully they won't do that. <laughs> so... There's a there's the first one of of my three parter on the the social. You you want a thumbs up or down now, or you want me to um, give you a full? Well, I'm willing to stick with this one as my first choice. Uh, you, you know, sure I'll you want go... you sure? Yeah. Okay, I, it's a I thumbs was... up. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was getting that. That, that game is awesome. <clears throat> I would take that on any trip. You know, it's like that takes like pit to the next level. Right. You know, it's just insanity. In fact, you could play that on a plane. You know, a nice 13-hour plane ride. Everybody on the plane would just be wanting to kill you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the the reason I, I thought I needed to raise the bar a little was it is a party game, but it, it's limited to six players. Right. And none of the other games really fill a larger group of people. So I thought I needed to provide Damn. a larger uh, I had it. A game that, that included the other ones. And... The cool thing about this second one is it doesn't even add anything else to the bag because it uses a standard deck of cards, and that game is Mafia. Yep. It is, many of you might know this game as Werewolf or Are You a Werewolf or Lupus and Tabula or the thousands of other names yep. out there, but it actually, the original game was played with a standard deck of cards and nothing else, um, and it was called Mafia. It can be played with any number of people. Literally any number of people can play Mafia in fact, the more people, uh. the better the game's going to be. Cards are dealt out to the players, and anyone who has a king, in the version I know, people out there are going to write in and tell me, oh, we play with the queen or whatever. <laughs> the version I know, the people who end up with the king, they're, they are members of the mafia. It's the job of the other players 
<clears throat> the townsfolk to root out the Mafia members before nightfall. Because each night, the mafiosos are going to eliminate an innocent citizen from the town, meaning one less person is going to get to interact with the game. The game is played with a moderator, and there are many variations, including specialized roles like the police chief and the godfather that add an even greater amount of deception to the game. It is just tons and tons of fun. Sometimes you might have the right have to have the right crowd because there is a little wheeling and dealing and sort of right. you're the mafia and getting in people's <laughs> face. But for a party game, you've already got the deck of cards. You could pull it out anytime you want, any situation that you have. I think it's a great a great choice to fill that niche and doesn't even add another set of game components and you've got that game in your bag of tricks. That that's awesome. <laughs> that, every time we've uh, got that game out with with somebody who wasn't quite sure. When the first game is done, they're like, let's go again, baby. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And that particular one, you could play with everybody on the plane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the pilots might want to kill yeah, you exactly. in that case. But, exactly. you know, maybe they're part of the mafia. <laughs> so that, that would be an awesome, <clears throat> awesome game to play with just a standard deck of cards. Yep. Um, last but not least, I felt like I didn't have a high, high strategy uh, you know, a just brain herder kind of uh-huh. game on the list, but it's but would also be a social game. And so the last the last one that I'm throwing on my my bag of games list is Diplomacy. Ah, 1959 classic game. Alan Cal Calhammer, Avalon Hill is the original publisher. Two to seven players. I've played this with teams many right. many times, so I think it can scale up. Very, very well because it, it's because it's so social um, that that aspect of it would be very easy to do. Um, the map board folds up small and can be packed away safely, just like um, uh, I'm, I'm the boss. boss. Um, you could even make color Xeroxes of the game board. I did this when I traveled to England. <laughs> Sad as I did, I was over there. I went to England um, in college and spent a semester abroad and uh, made color Xeroxes of the quadrants of the board and then. I could just glue them onto you know a piece of cardboard once I got there because literally most of the game takes place away from the board right. and it's all about the wheeling and dealing and trying to to move your armies into different places and you can play it over a a long course of time you could set it up night one and not finish it until the last night of the trip and just have little secret meetings oh are you going to invade um, Constantinople <laughs> oh yes I'll have your support for invading Constantinople so um, it's a classic game. Has that high strategy, but also high social aspect. There you have it. I've, I even I one upped you, man. I I threw extra games on the list, so so let me have it. That that's awesome. I I think that'd work great. There there are quite a few pieces with that, but that still would not stop you from fitting them easily. <clears throat> Actually, all, all eight of those games. The standard diplomacy set that I have has just tiny little wooden boats and little wooden just men little. and a board. And the rule book is literally one sheet of paper. I mean, that's how simple the rules are. I don't. Even, I don't know if you've even played Diplomacy. No, I it's haven't. my week it's, for picking games you yeah, haven't exactly. played. I guess here I've got the new version with all the big metal pieces. But yeah, but, but the uh, basic game is just a board and a few pieces. And and I think that would be an awesome time to play that too. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're when you you're away, that. you could just like you said, set it up early on, and the whole time you're on vacation, enjoying mm-hmm. whatever you're doing on vacation. You have these little sneaky <laughs> asides with people, you know, that where you could figure out cool strategies. That that would be great. I I unfortunately have to give you eight <laughs> thumbs up. That's just miserable. 
Somehow but, he's grown eight thumbs in the yeah, process of this game, sommelier, and they're <laughs> all up. I can see them. That that was awesome. Well, are you ready for your challenge for next week's episode? I don't think so. <laughs> you might reach across with all eight of those thumbs and put them <laughs> in my eye here. Are you ready? Hit me. Some people are rules people, and some people are just not. Several of your friends are definitely not into being bogged down by the rules. Now, you may think that they couldn't possibly be into games because of this. In fact, you've probably tried in vain to play some games with them with disastrous results. But oh, how wrong you'd be. These people can be gamers. There are games and there are metagames. Rules Rebels, like your friends, are made for these metagames. These are games where much, if not all, of the game takes place outside of the actual rules of the game. They usually involve some wheeling and dealing and tons of social interaction or role-playing, but they don't all have to fit that mold. Metagames encourage inventiveness and imagination in a way that isn't confined by strict or structured gameplay. Your job is to find five games that have this metagame feature, Games that your friends would really get sucked into and won't be tempted to grenade or quit halfway through. <laughs> By grenade, I mean they just decide this game is stupid and so they do everything possible to just, just ruin to... the experience for everyone else. So I've given you a few. I've laid the, the trail of bread, breadcrumbs <laughs> with uh, some of my suggestions uh, from my own sommelier. And I, I don't think you should be allowed to maybe pick more than one of those <laughs> off the list. I wouldn't, I wouldn't cry foul if you picked at least one. But I think, you, I think you're up to this challenge. And I think that there are a lot of games that fit this mold Absolutely. once you start thinking about it. Um, Isn't the metagame some type of vitamin? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, 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 it encourages nerdliness. Yeah. I would pick C and E. <laughs> Never mind. There's, I, I can find five. Definitely not including the ones that you that kind of fit that mold that you discussed this evening. So. But I, I figured since I was on that kick already with metagames, it just made sense to kind of cool. keep going along the, that line. So there you have it. Hey, uh, I I can't wait. That's that that's going to be fun. I'm I've got my my thumb down out and I'm ready to point it towards the floor. <sighs> Don't even try it. <laughs> Well, I think that about will do it for another episode. I think it's time to put a lid on this episode of The Spiel. I hope you've enjoyed our expand-nomadic. <laughs> uh, it should just encourage you to go back and revisit some of your old games and look and see if there are expansions out there, because in a lot of cases, you can get a lot of mileage out of an older game right. by just spending a couple extra bucks and buying a new expansion, and it'll seem like a whole new game. So um, we love to hear from you and hear um, what your suggestions would be about you know expansions you like. We always enjoy your comments. Um, we're always looking for uh, people to, to tell us how we can improve the show. So feel free to drop us a line at Stephen at thespiel.net. Or Dave at thespiel.net. And then, of course, you can always find our show notes at thespiel.net. So without further ado, we'll put a lid on this episode. So remember, whether it's the roll of a die, the turn of a card, or the flip of a tile, you don't have to play to win. You, you just, just have, have to play. play.